0: Well, good evening, everyone. Um, <clears throat> we're in Jonah chapter one and two tonight. So if you have a Bible, um, go ahead and open the Jonah chapter one. It's in your pew Bible. So there's a little blue Bible in front of you. I'd love if you grab that. It keeps us all on the, the same page, literally all on the same page. Um, and it's page 774. It'd be really helpful if you open that because the way I preach, the way we preach is we work our way through a passage and at several times throughout a sermon we will refer to different verses or we will say, do you notice in verse, whatever, and if you have that Bible open in front of you, it just means you can follow along. This is obviously part of our 100 Days series. I know at the start of the year we launched that, but the danger is that we just forget about that or it's in the background somewhere, but I really, really want to encourage you to be involved in the 100 days. Hopefully you picked up one of the booklets um, at the back whenever they were available, and you are trying to work your way through that. You will notice that there's a number of passages that are there, and a number of passages that every church, well, the five churches that are part of Awake 100 Days are working through every Sunday. So there's four other churches that are working through the same stuff that we are here as well. And the theme of that is obviously Praying for an awakening of our soul and of our city and of our land. And obviously, with the 24 7 prayer, I would love you to be involved in that as well. Don't see a 100 days as just something that someone else will do or some other church will do. Don't see the 24 sign up as something that someone else will do as well. I would really strongly encourage you, as Karn has already said, go to the back. There's a welcome desk. You will see a sheet. There are a few um, slots that are empty. I would love for you to do two things. Just sign up and turn up for prayer. That's all I'm asking. Sign up and turn up for prayer. There's a few night slots. I'd love some men if they could sign up to those longer slots over night time. So please do and go and see that form at the back. If you think someone else is doing it, then someone else will think that and nobody will do it. I say that all the time, but I would love you just to run to the back and sign your name to be part of what God is doing in our soul, in our city and our land. So Jonah chapter one, let's begin at verse one. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise. Remember that word, arise. That's an important word for our sermon tonight. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid a fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. And the mariners were afraid, or the mariners were afraid, And each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. Can you imagine how someone sleeps in such a storm? So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, there's that word again, arise, call out to your God, perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Then look down at verse 10. The men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that Jonah was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down? For the sea grew even more tempestuous He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea, when then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew even more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. Chapter 2, verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you have heard my voice. Then drop down to the last verse of chapter 2, verse 10. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out onto the dry land. Let's pray one more time before we unpack this passage together. Holy Spirit, will you come? Will you come in power? And will you come in might? And will you come in a way that only you can and be our teacher? Maybe we are so familiar with the story of Jonah Maybe we've heard it a million times. Maybe we heard it in Sunday school and all of a sudden it's all come back to us again. And maybe we're familiar with this story, but God, I pray that you by your spirit will bring these words to life. And I ask that you by your spirit will transform our minds and our hearts and open our minds and our hearts and our ears to hear what you have to say. So Holy Spirit, come, because it is only you that can do that. It is only you that can change lives. It's only you that can bring this word to life. I could preach a half-decent sermon, but we don't need a half-decent sermon tonight. We need the power of God to change and to renew and to speak deep into broken, hurting situations and settings in our lives. We just, we just need you. So come. Holy Spirit, I need your help. We need your help. So come. And all God's people said, Amen. So, Jonah, what an interesting card. I love Jonah. Back in a couple of weeks' time, we're going to be looking at Jonah as Word comes or Word in action on a Wednesday night, taking each chapter and working through it in a lot more detail. I've got two chapters to cover tonight, so we're just going to skim through this. The first thing that we notice about G- uh, Jonah is that he doesn't want to walk 500 miles. If you've got that song in your head, that's a song I have in my head um, with the Proclaimers, but he doesn't want to walk 500 miles. And the reason I'm saying that is because All he has to do in this chapter is walk 500 miles and he's at where God wants him to be. But no, he does not want to walk 500 miles. I'm not gonna sing that. I sang the A-team this morning. I'm not gonna sing anything tonight. Don't worry. In verse one, Jonah's alarm rings. It buzzes. It wakens him up and God says, arise. There is that word, arise and go to a place called Nineveh, only 500 miles away. Now, Jonah is a prophet or a preacher. A prophet in the Old Testament was like God's mouthpiece. So what a prophet, a job description for a prophet in the Old Testament would be this, dead simple. You go where God tells you to go and you say what God tells you to say. That's it. Go where God wants you to go. Say what God wants you to say. But Jonah in this passage, instead of grabbing a coffee to go and making the 500-mile journey, seems to have a problem with mission trip Nineveh. Now, we'll discover later on why he has an issue with Nineveh. But all we know at this point, this early on in the passage, is that God says go, and Jonah says no. So off he And it seems that it's easy sailing, at at least at the beginning of this passage, in verse 3, Jonah buys a one-way boat ticket across the Mediterranean Sea towards a place called Tarshish, which is modern-day Spain. So that's a journey of not 500 miles, but 2,500 miles in the opposite or the wrong direction. I like maps. I said that this morning, and guess what? I have a map for you tonight. Here's the map I have for you tonight, just to give some perspective as to the distance that he travels. So you might be able to see on the map behind me, point A is Joppa, point B is where he was supposed to go to, and point C, 2,500 miles is where Jonah is running towards. So he jumps on Tarshish Cruise Lines, and off he goes. And it seems like it's plain sailing. Lovely blue skies in our picture. And it seems that you can run away from God. And it seems that you can run away from God, and there's just no consequences. It seems that you can disobey God, and you can actually benefit from it. You can get a nice little sabbatical on the Mediterranean cruise. How amazing is that? for rejecting what God wants you to do. So here is Jonah. He's off and he's loving life. And as far as he's concerned, it's plain sailing. It's easy sailing. It's blue skies, calm seas, the sun glistening. Can you imagine the sun glistening off the Mediterranean calm sea? He grabs a comfortable deck chair on this cruise that he is on and he turns his back towards God and his eyes pointing towards Spain. Holidays are coming, thinks Jonah. Easy sailing. In one hand, he has a pina colada. In the other hand, he has his mobile phone. And all he has is a fully charged phone with uninterrupted full strength Wi-Fi. Sure, what more can you want in life than that? And off he goes. A runaway prophet, a runaway preacher, easy. Sailing. But we know, because we've read the whole chapter, that it's not all easy ceiling. It turns then to queasy sailing quite quickly in this passage. If you turned on the local news in Joppa and turned in to listen to the weather forecast at the end, well, all you were expecting was sunny, clear, blue skies. All you were expecting is a nice, calm ceiling. There was no mention of a storm, no hint of a storm, no prediction of a storm. Apparently, this week it's going to get to minus five, but they're always threatening about the temperatures and the cold and the snow that's coming. But in these, this news that you turned into, there's no hint of anything other than beautiful, calm scenes. Until we get to first 4, and seemingly out of nowhere, this dark cloud then begins to close in. And the winds all of a sudden pick up, and we are in the middle of a full-scale storm. Can you imagine the scene? The winds are howling. Waves are smashing against that boat. The boat lifts up and then crashes down into the water. And each time it crashes down in, you're not sure whether this boat is going to withstand another battering. And your fear is that the boat will just completely break up and disintegrate and will just drown in the sea. And anything on the deck, all the cargo is just sliding about the place. And whenever you suddenly do get a moment to try and balance yourself and get some sense of orientation, boom, another wave hits the boat. In verse 4, we are told that it was God that hurled a great wind upon the sea. And you have these sailors, and we have to realize that these are experienced sailors. They were used to difficult, rough seas and not getting seasick along the way, but they are afraid in this passage. And that gives us a sign of just how violent this storm and how rough this storm is in our passage. God hurls a great wind The men on the boat are scared because of the wind that God has hurled. In verse 5, then the sailors begin to hurl precious um, cargo off the ship in order to try to save each other. I think if I was on that boat, I'd be doing a different type of hurling. You know the hurling I mean? Someone pass me a seasick bag quickly, please. Easy sailing turned very quickly to queasy sailing. But you notice Jonah has a do not disturb sign on his cabin door. That's a strange little thing he's doing down there. One passenger seems to be totally unconcerned by this huge storm. Our boy Jonah is in his cabin with a do not disturb sign on it. And he's sleeping, fast asleep, snoring while this crazy storm is going. And everyone is fearful above. In verse 6, the captain thumps on his door to Wicken waken Jonah up. And did you notice the word that the captain uses to waken him up? And does it sound familiar? Remember I said to think about a word at the start and then later on in this passage. I'll give you a clue again. If you were to look at verse 6 in the Bible you have in front of you, and then look again at verse 2, what is the repeated word? The word is arise, that is the word that initially woke Jonah up at the start of his day. He was sleeping because it was morning, and God wakens him up and says, arise and go to a certain place. Now they're on this boat, and he's sleeping again, and now it is this pagan, unbelieving, non-Christian sailor thumping at the door, shouting, arise, and surely a cold sweat must have come over Jonah. And a flashback go right back to the beginning of his day and that word arise. It seems the word arise is hunting him and following him in this passage. Arise and go. But Jonah has been doing all he can to run from that word and hide from that word and run and hide and flee from the calling that God has put over his life. So it seems initially you can run away from God. It seems initially you can hang up a do not disturb sign over your life and say, no, thank you, God. I am not interested. It seems initially you can do that, but God pursues Jonah in this passage with this calling, so it seems you cannot actually run and hide from God. Man overboard is my next point in this passage. The desperate prayers of the sailors have not worked. They have prayed to their gods. They have tried to ask their gods for help, and that just has not worked. They've cast lots, and the lot fell in Jonah, and Jonah admits to these people what he has done, Jonah realizes that he is the reason for the storm, and he shares that little detail with the friendly staff of Tarsus cruise lines. But that friendly staff are not so friendly anymore, and they throw him overboard, of course, at Jonah's request. And Jonah is sinking, but the storm stops. But still, Jonah is sinking and sinking and sinking deeper and deeper and deeper. Chapter one is a chapter where Jonah tries to take control of his life. It's a chapter where he tries to run away from God, a chapter where he tries to outsmart God. But it's actually a passage that we see that God is in control, not Jonah, definitely not Jonah. Like this is a passage where God allowed Jonah to take his little grumpy head in verse two. Like, he's angry at God, doesn't want to do what God has told him to do, and he's cross, and he's grumpy, and he's annoyed. In fact, he is furious at God in verse two. God allowed him to be furious in verse two. God allowed Jonah to think that he could run away. Like, what an amazing plan he thought he had. Rather than go 500 miles this direction, I will literally try to get as Far away from God as I possibly can. And 2,500 miles, I think, will do it, says Jonah as he jumps on his cruise line. God allowed Jonah to hop on a boat in Joppa. It was God that allowed or caused this great storm. It was God that caused the lot to fall on Jonah. It was God that allowed a near death experience to bring these pagan sailors into a relationship. With him, Because that's what happens in this passage. These pagan sailors are saved. Isn't it interesting, if you're at church this morning and we're looking at Paul. Paul wanted to go to somewhere. Here's Jonah, he doesn't want to go to somewhere. And in both cases, God is in control, God is sovereign. And because God is in control and because God is sovereign, people get saved. Even in this passage that we never thought would get saved, the pagan sailors. So God allows them to go in the opposite direction because God wants to save people over here in Nineveh, but Jonah's away over here and God goes, well, if you're over there, I'll just save some people here and then I'll get you back to where I want you to be as well. I love that little detail. God allowed the sailors to throw Jonah overboard and God allowed that famous big fish to come and swallow Jonah, holding him in the belly of the fish for three days. And in chapter 2, it seems that Jonah repents, and it seems that he has a change of heart. And it is the end of that chapter that we read where the big fish spits him out. And it seems that Jonah has a new attitude. And at the end of chapter 2, he heads off to Nineveh. Next week, next Sunday night, we'll look at chapters 2 and 3, and you'll, or sorry, 3 and 4, and you'll find out what happens next. But here's the thing. What is chapter 1 and 2 really all about? Like, what is going on in these verses? Because here's what's happening. You've got a man on a run. This is the simplest way I'm looking at this here. You've got a man on a run, on the run. You've got a man in the boat. You've got a man in the storm. You've got a man overboard. You've got a man in a fish. And you've got a man with a new attitude. A man on the run, a man on a boat, a man in a storm, a man overboard, a man in a fish, and a man with a new attitude. And is is that it? So don't run from God, or you might end up somewhere you didn't think. It could be an application, I don't know. But maybe there's more going on in this passage. And I will go in a lot more detail in these chapters if you come along on a Wednesday night, and you'll hear lots more stuff because there's Beautiful stuff that's going on here. Beautiful gospel stuff. Beautiful stuff that mimics what Jesus does or is a foreshadow of Jesus coming in the New Testament. But here's what's happening in this book. To understand Jonah, you need to look at the bookends. So the bookends are chapter one. So this is why it's really helpful for you to have your Bible open at page 774 and 775 because you can see all four chapters at least in my version, you can look, you can see them all here on this one page. So here's the bookends chapter 1, verse 2 and 3, and then chapter 4, verse 11. That's the bookends of this. So if you look at chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, it says, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come before me. But Jonah ran away. Then look at first, or chapter 4, verse 11. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left? Here's what's happening in Jonah. Jonah knew that God was a God of grace and mercy and love. Jonah knew that God was mighty to save. Jonah knew that if he went to Nineveh, that God would save Nineveh. That there would be a sermon, there would be an altar call, people would get saved, and chapter three, spoiler alert, in one day with an eight word sermon, 120,000 people get saved. That's a successful sermon preach. If I did, and you're probably wishing, I wish you did eight word sermons, Mark. If I did an eight word sermon and 120,000 people get saved, I would retire. I would just retire. I will go out on a high. That would be me. Done, dust it, thank you very much. 120,000 people getting saved in one day, that's a successful just one event. That's a successful conclusion to 100 days of prayer and awakening across our souls and our city and our land. Why wouldn't Jonah go to Nineveh? Like if he knew all this about God, if he knew God was good and gracious and loving and caring and would show grace and would show mercy and his message would have favor and there'd be such an impact, why wouldn't he go? Why wouldn't Jonah go to Nineveh? Well, the first time that we meet Jonah is actually in 2 Kings chapter 14. You can flick back there, I'll read this again, but the last few verses of chapter 14 of 2 Kings talks about Jonah. And Jonah comes with an exciting message. Remember, he's a prophet. So where God tells him to go, he goes, and what God tells him to say, he says. So God tells him to go to a particular king, and he tells him to go with a particular message. And it's a great message. It's a good message. It's an encouraging message. It's a message which will expand the borders of Israel, will grow Israel, will make Israel become even greater, more powerful, more mighty, more awesome And Jonah likes that message. He likes his job description in 2 Kings chapter 14. 2 Kings chapter 14 is a good day at the office for Jonah. Jonah believed that God belonged to God's people, Israel. He loved Israel like he was so in love with his nation, very proud of his nation. And he believed that God belonged to that nation and only that nation, no one else, because everyone else were outsiders. God made a promise to a special group of people and only that special group of people deserve God's love, grace, mercy, and forgiveness. Everyone else is an outsider. And as far as Jonah's concerned, that's the way it should stay. That's the way that it should be. He doesn't want to mess and mingle and befriend and do life and do life grips and do church with people that are outsiders. So here's God coming along again in Jonah chapter one, and God comes again with a message. But here's the difference between 1 Kings 14 and Joshua 1. Joshua doesn't like the job description in chapter one of Jonah. He doesn't like the job description because he doesn't like Nineveh. He hates Nineveh. And the reason he hates Nineveh is because, well, he knows. Now, now you're maybe... Tuning in this for the first time and have no idea what Nineveh is. I didn't know what Nineveh was until I did a bit of research and did a bit of digging and read around some other passages and read some other commentaries. But here's what you need to know about Nineveh and decide whether you think Jonah is in the right or is in the wrong. Would you have stayed or would you have run in this passage? Because here's Nineveh Nineveh is the capital city of a major world superpower called Assyria. So in our last number of sermons in the Old Testament, the world superpower had been Babylon. But before that, Assyria is also one of the main superpowers there as well. So this is a great city. Nineveh is a great, massive, huge city where there's a quarter of a million people living there. It would take you three whole days to walk through the entire city, 60-mile-wide city. So it's a big city. It's an important city but it's also famous for its horrific violence. And I mean horrific violence on a whole new scale of horrific violence. The army of Nineveh was particularly brittle. They even bragged about their violence. They wrote songs and poems and had those songs and poems, painted all over the place and over walls and over pillars and on the streets as well. What they would do is they would decapitate their enemies. They would take the head of their enemy, stick it on a pole, and would make the dead relatives walk around, carrying that pole around the city for further shame. I wonder, did you hear that version of the story in the bedtime version of Noah or and Jonah? Because I didn't hear that. But that's that's what Nineveh are like. They even skinned some people alive. A horrific, evil, wicked nation. So do you blame Jonah for not wanting to go to Nineveh? Would you have gone to Nineveh? Like if God asked you to arise and go to that place, would you have gone? Maybe the question tonight, and I'm asking myself this question, is where is your Nineveh? Where is your Nineveh? Because are there people in your life that you show little compassion towards or little love Towards or people that you judge that are in your world or in your life or that you watch or that are around you. Maybe you hate some people, or maybe you wouldn't use the word hate, but you just don't like some people. You dislike some people. You don't talk to some people. You ignore some people. You don't give some people the time of day. Would you pray a hundred days for some of these people? Would you pray for all people? in our church, or in our streets, or in our city, or in our land? Would you go to some difficult places? Where are your Nineveh places? Who are your Nineveh people? In your box, Mark Nineveh, what types of people have you already put in that box? Those that are different to you. Maybe those that go to different schools than you go to, or have different religious practices than you, or go to different styles of churches, or believe in certain things that aren't what you believe, or have different sexual orientations than you do, or have a different color of skin than you do, or are just different to you than in any way. Who's in that box marked Nineveh? Jonah did not love Nineveh. But God loved Nineveh. Jonah might have been happy to ignore this great city, but God wanted to show his grace and his mercy towards this city and give them an opportunity to repent. And I wonder how that sits with you tonight. Does that seem fair? Because it didn't seem fair to me. Because you know sometimes we have these hard questions to ask. Why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? That's a hard question to answer. But also it's hard to know why God allows good things to happen to bad people. And these people in this passage are very bad, very wicked, very wicked people. Why did God save Nineveh? Doesn't seem fair to me. Something about that that doesn't smell right. In fact, it stinks. Stinks to me. But isn't that what chapter one and two of Jonah are all about? There's a stink in chapters one and two. Like in chapter one, it's Jonah's attitude that stinks. His refusal refusal to do what God has asked him. His refusal to go to a certain type of person, that just stinks. And then in chapter two, like being in the belly of a fish for three days. Can you imagine that? Being vomited out onto a beach. Well, it's not just his attitude that stinks, it's actually his entire body that stinks in chapter two. This is a couple of chapters that just stink. Strange. It's a weird place to spend three days, isn't it? I wonder why he had to spend three days in the belly of a fish. You might not want to imagine it, but can you imagine being swallowed by a fish? And what it'd be like to be inside the belly of that fish for three smelly, stinking days, and then to be vomited up on the beach, poke, and walk off in the hot sun smelling. But what is happening? Because it's not just a sense of smell that we should be getting from this passage. Jonah is swallowed up something significant about that word, swallowed up. He is engulfed in darkness. Like it's bound to be pitch dark inside there. Swallowed into darkness, and there's a horrible stench. Swallowed, darkness, stench, decay, death. What does that remind us of? Does it remind you of something? Does it remind you of a person? Does it remind you of Jesus? Does it remind you that Jesus was sent by God on a mission? And Jesus willingly went on this mission. Jesus came with a message of grace and with one of love. But the people turned away from him. No one wanted to hear his message. In fact, his disciples run away. And evil people arrest Jesus. They torture him. They kill him in the most degrading and horrific and most violent and most brittle of ways, an innocent man. Here's what I thought. If anyone deserved to call an end to their mission and run as far away as they possibly could, then it was Jesus. Jesus could have done a Jonah, He had every right to do a Jonah, in this gospel. But he didn't. He ran towards us. He embraced us, and with love, he gave his life for people like you and me that just did not deserve it. People like Nineveh, people like you and me as well. People that are lost, people that are in darkness, People who are in sin, rotting and decaying in their sin. Remember the swallow word? Jonah got swallowed by a fish. What did Jesus do? Well, Jesus was swallowed by our death. Our death. A death caused from our sin. A darkness, a stench, locked in a grave for three days buried in our grave. But he didn't stay there because three days later, he walked out of that grave and in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 54, it says, death is, here's the word again, swallowed up in victory. Death is swallowed up in victory. Verse 55 goes on to say, oh death, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? Only with Jesus can our darkness and our stench and our death and our decay be turned into life? Only with Jesus can a life that has run so far from God and is now sinking be lifted out of that despair and that hopelessness. So here's the question as we close tonight. Are you closing God out of your life? Are you closing people out of your life? Are you trying to get as much space and distance between you and the church, you and God, as you possibly can? Like, are you running like crazy from God? And I don't know what has happened in your life, to make you run, but are you running like crazy from God tonight? Are you filling your life with distractions to block out God? Didn't want to be here tonight, but someone dragged you along. Have tried your best to do other things in this service tonight. You've tried to distract yourself with your mobile phone. You tried to distract yourself by taking yourself to your happy place and thinking something else, but you just can't block God out. Are you happy to quit? Are you happy to quit? Are you happy for someone just to throw you overboard? I'm done. I'm finished. I'm a failure. I'm a lost cause, Mark. Throw me overboard. Don't bother preaching at me because I'm done. I failed. My life is in a mess. It is an absolute train wreck right now. And I am drowning. I am drowning and I am sinking, and I don't know where to look, and I don't know where to turn to, and I don't know what to do, but all I know is that I am sinking. If that is you tonight, then I want you to take comfort and hope from the message of Jonah. Where on earth is there comfort and hope from a message like Jonah? Well, here's one. God wasn't finished with Nineveh in chapters 1 and 2, But also, God wasn't finished with Jonah in chapter one and two. And that is great, amazing, wonderful news. At Jonah's furthest, deepest, farthest fall from grace, God comes to Jonah in grace. And God comes to you tonight in grace. Whether you believe that or not, whether you deserve that or not, God comes to you in grace. And here's the thing. We don't have to run away to a place we can run away in our minds or we can run away in our hearts. And Satan wants you to run and hide. He wants you to drown in the guilt and the shame that you feel. He wants you to be blown away by those hurricane storm winds which are so loud and so disorientated that you have no idea where to turn to or what to do. He wants you to quit. He wants you to quit. Jonah 1 and 2 tells us that we are to look up and see God. Look up and see God. Look for God in the storm. Look for God as you sink deeper and deeper. Look to God as you are buried in some dark, rotting, decaying place. And I know it's so hard to look up. I know it's so hard to find God. I know it's so hard to do that. But if you do that, you will see this. You will see that you cannot run so far from God that you are out of God's reach. You will see that you cannot sink so deep to a place where God cannot send something or someone or himself to rescue you. When you look up, you will see that there is no place too dark and so lost and so broken and so messy that he cannot breathe life into that. There is no dead end. That is a permanent barrier to God. There is no mistake that you have made that can limit God's power to turn your life around and change. Because with love and grace that we might never be able to fully understand or appreciate or fathom or grasp, God sent Jesus to demonstrate his great love towards runaway, disobedient, lost feeling, hiding, sinking people like Jonah, but also people like you and me. So don't run from the presence of God. Run to the presence of God. Allow God to come and minister deep into your life. Let's pray together. Father God, we pray, we pray that you will come by the power of your spirit. Take these words, bring them to life, take the truth that is there and help us to cling on to it. There are definitely people in this room tonight that feel like they are drowning, that feel they have nowhere to turn, don't know where to turn, don't know how to get themselves out of the mess that they are in. And here's the thing, we are all sinners. We have all done stuff in our life and do stuff in our life where we are drowning and we are lost in our sin. There's no one any better than anyone else in this room. In fact, we are all Nineveh. We are all in need. We are all full of sin. We all need a God of grace and mercy just to look upon us in kindness. So, the spirit of the living God in and around this place. I pray that you move, and you bring your word to life and that you change lives and that you awaken souls in this place and that you do that for your glory and your own honor and your praise and your fame we ask these things in your name and everyone said amen bless you